Yeah, we're just back from a uh, couple of weeks of relaxing. And uh, yeah, it was very peaceful. Uh, we had a beautiful sight on the, on the water, on the Fraser River there, uh, at Emory Creek there. And uh, it was beautiful. Like, you see the boats going by, the helicopter flying by, and uh, very low, just above the water, and fishes jumping up, up out of the water and everything. And uh, yeah, there was a, a day that Suzanne and I were sitting there, and we were facing the, uh, the river there, and uh, she had uh, very beautiful music playing and allowed us to meditate, meditate on what the Lord is for us. And, of course, Suzanne was worshiping in her own way, and it was very beautiful. And uh, then a little while later, she asked me, what, what were you thinking about? And uh, I says, you know, I was just thinking about Jesus and... Uh, while I was thinking about Jesus, uh, in my heart, I could see him walking on the water. And he was walking across the Fraser River and coming up the shore and then sitting beside me, between us. And uh, that was so beautiful. And, uh, and then a little while later, I, I was picturing the disciples on the, on the river there and... Uh, Jesus told them to cast a net on the other side, and they were catching their fish, and uh, it was very, uh, that was a beautiful. And then uh, right where Emory Creek and the Fraser River meet, uh, there's a sandbar there, and I could, in my heart, I could picture Jesus preparing the fish. And, uh, but during all of that, what the beautiful thing was, it was, I could sense the love, sense the peace, the stillness, sense his uh, quietness, his, uh, his grace. I, it, it was just so beautiful just to, just to take all that in. And uh, <laughs> even at one point, I kind of I kind of thought about it, and it says, you know, you're, you're giving me a, a, a glimpse of, uh, even a greater glimpse of what, what heaven is really like. And I was saying to myself, yeah, yeah, uh, it's getting closer, isn't it? Another year, maybe another two years, maybe five years, 10 years, 15 years, but it certainly ain't gonna be 70 years like, like I am now. It's getting closer, and I'm actually waiting for it, just to be with him. Uh, it's so peaceful, so still. Anyways, uh, come boldly to the table. I could read down with these glasses, but not with these. <laughs> not the smaller ones anyway, smaller letters. <laughs> Come boldly to the table. With God, all things are possible. Matthew 19:26. Some years ago, some years ago, doctors discovered a huge cancerous tumor in my uncle's throat. 
After a more detailed scan, the pathologist told him the cancer was aggressively spreading all over his neck and behind his tongue. In that moment, my, un my uncle said he gave up hope he would live. But before his surgery to try to remove the tumor, his daughter approached him and said, let's have communion together. Dad, let's pray and believe God. He shared that as they partook of the communion. He felt hope rising in his heart for the first time. And he partook, believing that Jesus was his healer and believing that the body of Jesus would make a difference in the tumor or in, in his, uh, oh, wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute, I'm reading wrong. Believing that Jesus was his healer and believing that the body of Jesus would make a difference in his body right there in the hospital ward. After the doctors removed the tumor, amazingly, the biopsy showed absolutely no trace of cancer in the tumor, even though multiple scans before the surgery had confirmed it was a cancer of an aggressive nature. However, the Lord has canceled the cancer to supernaturally disappear. And I believe it happened when my uncle and his family partook of the communion. In the same way, if your doctor has given you a negative prognosis, do not fear or despair. Don't live as though you don't have a savior. We may not know how our healing can take place, but let's have faith in the finished work of Jesus. He has paid the price for you to be well and, made, and make it easy for you to receive not just his love and forgiveness, but his healing power as well. I pray that this section uh, would help to answer some of the, your questions about the Holy Communion and that you are now excited to receive it, uh, its benefit freely. I want to invite you to the Lord's table. The table has been prepared, not by human hands that have faltered and failed, but by the perfect ones whose hands were nailed to the cross for you. He invites you to come to partake of his broken body for you and his blood shed for you. Come boldly to the table and partake by faith and receive your healing. Today's thought, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have, uh, you have been made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. You have been washed, cleansed of all your sins. Don't allow the enemy to rob you any longer. Partake of the Lord's Supper with thanksgiving, knowing that each time you partake, you are getting healthier and stronger. Today's prayer, Father, thank you that with you on my side, all things are possible. Thank you that your son, the perfect one who, whose hands were nailed to the cross for me, has prepared the table for me. I come boldly to the table, prepared by faith, 
and receive my healing. Amen. Let's take the cracker. I wrote down the line because I just loved what he read. We usually read it over. He reads it over in the morning just so we kind of know where we're going. And so, Jesus, we thank you for this cracker. We thank you that it represents your body broken for us. And we believe that the body of Jesus makes a difference. And we partake now believing that, Jesus, you are our healer, that you are the healer for everyone mentioned this morning, that you are Jan's healer, you're Tony's healer, you're Heather's healer. Elaine's healer, Brenda's healer, everyone here needing a touch. We partake believing that you are our healer. In Jesus' name, let's partake. And Lord, we take the cup. We thank you for the blood of Jesus shed for us. Shed for us. We thank you for the powerful work of the cross. And so we partake of this cup, believing in the work of the blood. We partake of this cup, believing that your blood was shed so that we could be healed and whole in Jesus' name. And we just release healing compassion to Jan, even as she's at home. Let her sense your healing compassion. Thank you for this cup. We take it now. Gordon and I are so grateful today that our eldest son, Andrew, and his lovely wife, Alicia, are visiting from Prince George. Gordon, am I a little loud? I'm apt to get louder, so. Honey, am I a little loud? Am I? No? Sound loud. I sound loud to me. A couple of weeks ago, I was, we were talking about the body and communion and how Jesus is bringing us to a new level of understanding of what the, what the body is, what it means to be one in Christ. And um, so I've, I've been looking at a lot, of, a lot of different scriptures, and the Lord just keeps bringing me back to John 17. So, Lolo, if you can, you can look up John 17 in the NASB for us, please. I think when... Um, when you hear someone pray, you just so are, you, their heart is exposed. You know, when you pray with people, I think you see their spirit, right? You hear, you hear what's in their inmost being. And I remember um, when we were at CLA in Langley and I was in a women's group and there was a young mom and I didn't, it's the first time I'd met her and we were in a group and she just, she just, she just was so intense and so looking for the kingdom of heaven to come. And she just said, oh, God, let us look for your heart and not your hands. And I thought, I want to know this girl. I just immediately, I was like, and that's my friend Lisa. Michelle would know her, Suzanne. And she lives up in uh, Equalit now in the far north, bringing the kingdom of heaven um, but sometimes when we hear people pray, I remember, you know, my mom in the last, last few times I saw her before she graduated to heaven, she had been alone for, for a number of years, seven years without my dad. 
And then COVID hit, and so she would just pray, just her and Jesus. So we went to visit her. She forgot that when you pray with someone else, you're supposed to stop and let them pray too. And she just pray and pray and pray. And um, so, you know, and then I go, Mom, uh, I'll talk to Jesus too. And so she'd kind of laugh. She forgot because she just prayed. Her and Jesus just talked all the time. And when someone prays, you're, you're, you learn so much about their heart. John 17 is Jesus' prayer to his father. It's the longest recorded prayer we have. It's so incredible because he's about to go to the cross. He's about to go to the cross. You know, we have John 15 and the vine and the branches. He has this whole discourse with the guys, and they, they have the Lord's Supper together. They have, they have uh, that, their, their Passover meal together. And then he prays, and it's such an intimate prayer. And so um, I, I was studying it out, and uh, it's, it's amazing to me when I see things uh, that I've never seen in scriptures that are so familiar to me. And so um, just as we look at it again, <clears throat> I'm going to read through and just highlight a few things. And uh, I said to Gord last night, we were driving, and I said, what would you think is the most common, one of the most common verbs? Well, this is linguists conversing, right? What are the most common verbs, the action words in that passage? So just as we read through, I'm going to ask you that question and see, see what you make of it. My guess was glorify. So Jesus spoke these things, and raising his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. So just in that one verse, uh, we went looking for the DeGroots the other night at their campsite. We wanted to crash their party. And uh, we couldn't find them because we were looking for a white truck, and that was the wrong colored truck. And I called Suzanne, and I said, we're in the campsite. We can't find you. And she says, you didn't look up your eyes. You didn't lift up your eyes high enough. We're, We're camped at the highest point in the park. And here Jesus at the hour of his crucifixion, he, he lifts up his eyes. And I think at this point, if it was me in my life, I'd be on my face. I would be, I would be splayed on the ground and saying, God, uh, this is it. This is the hour. And was it an hour? Was the, was the trial and the, the torture and the death and the three days in the tomb? Jesus says the hour has come. I just want to say, that's an eternal perspective. He's about to suffer. He's about to accomplish the apex of all history. And he says it's an hour. In the scope of eternity, it's an hour. It's an hour. So I just want to say for those who are going through difficult times, in the, in the light of eternity, it's a short time. It's a short time. James, James says something like that, that these trials have come upon us for this brief moment. So he raises his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Why? So that the son may give glory to you. Because after this, he's not going to talk about him. He's not going to talk about give me strength to go to the cross. He's not going to talk about his problems. He's not going to talk about decisions. He mostly is going to talk about the people he's trained and leaving behind and the people who will believe through them. And so he says, uh, just as you gave him, the son, 
authority over all mankind so that to all whom you have given, he may give eternal life. There's the gospel right there, right? Jesus has authority over all mankind. As I read through this prayer, it's interesting to me how the son reasons in prayer with the father. He brings up to the father things the father obviously knows, and he reasons to the father, and he says, you know, I I would love to see this happen so that, and he and the father have this discourse, and I think as we even pray for unbelievers, this this is something we can say, Lord, you have authority over all mankind. And Father, would you work in this person's life so that they will bend the knee now to you and not when it's too late? Uh, Just as you gave him authority over all mankind so that all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So this is the, the, the kind of the two parts of salvation, election and your, your decision by faith to believe in what the Son has done. God the people, all people belong to the Lord, and then he has some that he gave to the Son, and the Son gives them the word of God, and he, he gives them back to the Father. And this is the definition of eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's the definition of eternal life. That they may know you, that's an experiential, ongoing knowledge. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Christ says, I glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. How did he bring glory to God? This is before he goes to the cross. But he says, up to this point, I've accomplished everything that you gave me to do. So it's good for us to know, too, what are we called to do, Right? What are we called to do? Mostly we're called to give glory to God. And actually, we, we, it says we do that. We were the gift that God gave to the Son. <clears throat> Verse 5, And now you, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. So uh, proof of the God had the divinity of Jesus. He existed before the world began. The two were together. I have revealed your name to the men <clears throat> whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus revealed the name of the Father. So, so you might be wondering, well, what does that mean? What's the name? Because he's going to talk about being kept in the name. So it might be good for us to know. What's the name? Well, the name that God gave Christ as the anointed one. But it means the whole character of God. All that he is, it's, it is all of God, the name. The name represents, and that's why Jews wouldn't speak the name Yahweh. Then they made the name Jehovah because they didn't want to, we didn't want to misuse the name. And so the name represents all that God is. <clears throat> I have revealed, Jesus revealed the name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. So the Father took people out of the world and gave them to the Son, and the Son revealed the character of God to them. And they were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have followed what? Your word. They have followed your word. Jesus brings a revelation of who the Father is, his character, his plan, 
his priorities through the word. Now that they have come to know that everything which you have given me is from you. So Jesus often said things like, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. So this oneness is just an acute interdependence. And I think this is what the Father is leading us to, is an interdependence with him and an interdependence with one another. Uh, Last few weeks, I really camped in this verse. Kevin will know. Wrote it down. My favorite verse right now is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's so much right in there. And I think the only way that, that this prayer of Jesus in John 17 is going to be accomplished and that we will be one, even as he and the Father is one, is if we, like Brenda was saying, understand what the word says. Paul says, I have been crucified as Christ, with Christ. And you're like, well, when did that happen? Just as by faith you believed for salvation, Christ died for you. He died as you in your place. And so we are, we are dead to we're dead to, to sin and to, to those things, but we continue to be sanctified, and he's going to talk about that. We continue the process of being sanctified. They have come to know that everything which you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from you. There's a... When I study a passage, I I make lists. What's true about the Father? What's true about the Son? And what's true about believers? And so the Son came forth from the Father. Colossians 1 talks about that. And they believed. So, so far, the men knew, and they followed, and they believed. Give us a little idea of what our role is. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me, because they are yours. So this doesn't mean that God doesn't love the world. God so loved the world, as we heard this morning, that he gave his only son. But he is praying specifically for this group, specifically the 11 right now, because the gospel is going to go out through them and those that they speak with. So he's, he's praying for them to be sustained. All things are mine. I think I'm on verse 10. All things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer going to be in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name the name which you have given me, so that they may be one, just as we are one. Do you see why we have to read this so often? (laughs) That's that sentence alone is just so loaded that God has the power to keep us in him, in his name, in his character, in his ways. 
So Jesus says, um, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished except the son of destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So it's interesting that um, Judas is loved to the end and was chosen, but chose to follow the, the way of the enemy and uh, betray, betray the Lord. God has the power to keep us. Jesus, it says in Hebrews and Romans, ever lives to make intercession for us. When you read this prayer, it gives you an idea of how he is praying for us now. He, every day, is praying for us. And the Father has the power to keep us. And I just find this so comforting, so reassuring. I love Philippians 1.6. He who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. That's a promise we have. But this, this Jesus says, the Father has the power to keep you. He will keep you. Don't listen to the lie. Don't get discouraged. Don't think it's too much. Don't think he doesn't see. Don't think he doesn't hear. Don't think he's forgotten. Don't think he's left you behind. He keeps. He finishes what he began. But now I'm going to you. Now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world so they may have my joy made to the full in them. I don't know when you picture Jesus if you picture him with a lot of joy, but it says the oil, he had the oil of gladness more than any man. He was a man of joy, um, probably for a number, a number of reasons. One is he didn't, he wasn't, uh, he didn't deal with, with uh, the consequences of sin because he was tempted but never sinned. His joy was also rooted in unbroken fellowship with the Father. So I, wanna, I just wanted to get that phrase that, I, that I'd written down because when I lose my joy, if I think of that, why have I lost my joy? I've probably broken fellowship with the Father. So that is like the flashing blue light for me, the oil level light, check your oil, something's gone down, engine about to seize my fellowship with the Father has been broken, and my joy level indicates that. So if you get nothing else out of all these words, <laughs> and I know my, my teaching style's a bit heavy, if you get nothing else, get that. Unbroken fellowship with the Father will bring joy. His joy was the fruit of true faith and confidence in the Father. His joy came from seeing the great things that God did through him, his joy was never diminished by his own sin. His joy was never diminished by deception. His joy was never diminished by allowing even the smallest foothold to the devil. When our joy goes, just consider some of those things and ask God to reset, reset fellowship with him, clear the, clear the deck, and start over and get filled up with joy. I speak to them in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because, because they are not of the world. Uh, if, you're under, if you were underlining things, 
the world shows up an awful lot in this passage. And Jesus says repeatedly, I am not of the world. They are not of the world. You are not of the world. You are not of the world. I am not of the world. Christ is not of the world, and Christ is in me. We are not of the world. And because we have the word of God, the world, the world will hate us. And probably we just need to get hold of that. <laughs> because, Brenda, right, when you speak the word of God, uh, the, it makes no sense to an unredeemed mind. They can't grasp it. It sounds like foolishness, right? It says in Corinthians to them. So uh, they, they will hate us because of the word of God. Because they are not, uh, the world hated them because they are not of the world, verse 14. Just as I am not of the world, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them, and this is this word again, to keep them away from the evil one, keep them from uh, not trouble or hardship. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that you will never have trouble. In fact, it says, in this world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> you will have trouble. It doesn't say it's going to keep you from trouble. It doesn't say he's going to keep you from hardship. I think he's keeping us from the evil one. He's keeping us from apostasy. Unbelief is maybe our biggest problem, isn't it? Incorrect belief or unbelief. When we believe the wrong things, it plays out in every aspect of our lives. We make wrong decisions, and that's, that spins out into, into some serious consequences. To keep us from worldliness, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. These are things we all know, but God is committed to keeping us as we keep that unbroken fellowship, making that a priority. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, that if every prayer I prayed was, is God, is my reason that I'm praying for God to be glorified. Do I want this to happen to make my life easier? Do I want this to happen so I get glory? Do I want this to happen because it's the easier way? Or is the reason I'm praying is that God will get glory? When, when I read this prayer, I, just, I have to check my own heart. I have to check my own heart because our prayers are often, and I'm saying, let me say, my prayers are often selfish. Lord, keep my kids, guard them from harm, you know, do this, do that. It's all, the, it's all the good stuff, and it's normal, and it's part of our covenant to be under that. But Jesus says, I'm about to be tortured. I'm about to die, but I'm bringing the will of God. I'm doing his will, and I'm, and I'm, I'm glorifying God through the most humiliating circumstances that God says is the glory the cross is the glory. The world thinks the cross is foolishness. The cross is God's instrument for bringing the world to himself. He chooses some odd things to bring glory to himself, if we're willing, if we're willing. And I think that's what both Kevin and Michelle were saying this morning is, are we willing? Are we saying, you know, we, we come in and we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. But am I willing to pay whatever it takes? And we don't come up with this stuff, right? We don't need to make this up. This is the work of God. But am I going to submit to the work of God willingly and say, 
my goal is, is that you be glorified no matter the cost. And I know that's our hearts. So we are in the world, but keep them away from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world. He said this repeatedly, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to be set apart for God's special pleasure or use. You are set apart for God's special pleasure and use. And so that's why we have to keep in the word of God, because the word of God tenderizes our hearts. Otherwise, our own uh, flesh takes over, and we just we purpose our purposes and not the purposes of heaven. We are set apart for God's special pleasure and use. And again, sanctification is his work in us. We submit to it. We cannot sanctify ourselves. We submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, making us like Christ. And I just want to say, when there is revival and when there is a move of God, when there is an awakening, people get all revved up about the gifts of the Spirit. And I, gifts of the Spirit are given as the Holy Spirit, as God desires. As, and you might have one, you might have two. But the fruit of the Spirit... You are commanded to have them all. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You're commanded to have them all. And I would much rather have a church full of people who are bearing fruit all over them than to have a few gifts in operation any day, any day, any day, any day. Because if you are attached to the vine and you're a branch, you will naturally bear fruit. It is not your doing. I always do that thing with, oh, 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 there I bore an apple. Come on, that's not how the apple tree works, right? The life of the vine flows through, and you bear fruit if you're connected. If you're in unbroken fellowship, break fellowship, get attached again. He doesn't. He's always bringing us back in. You will bear fruit. If you are rich in the fruit of the Spirit, guess what? The gifts are going to flow. The gifts are going to flow because it's his body, because he wants to bless, not me, the body. He wants to bless the body because it's him. You know, I debated about getting, going to the dollar store and getting a doll. And I said, oh, God, I don't want, I may, maybe this would traumatize somebody, especially if there were children in the service. But, you know, if you take a doll and break off her arm, come on, that's traumatic, right? That arm, what can that arm do by itself? It's built to be part of the body. Just as these guys were saying, it's, it's not even just our fellowship. It's the body of Christ. It's those who are in Christ, those who believe. And we need to be part of one another. And sometimes, all the time, that takes the Holy Spirit. That takes the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get there by trying. But we will get there as we all stay connected to the head Keep looking up as Jesus starts this prayer. Look up and let the life of Christ cause that fruit of the Spirit to grow in you. Andrew, remember when we were teaching the kids in Africa, and we, so we made a little song. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Ho, ho. And that's how they memorize it, right? You can just make a little song. 
It's good to, good to uh, know those and even better to bear them, be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. So God will keep us from the evil one. He will keep us in the world, but not of the world. He will sanctify us through the word, just as you sent me. Anybody notice the word sent a few times? Just as you sent me into the world, also I sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. How did Christ sanctify himself? He gave himself as an offering. He gave himself holy. He gave himself so that the, the world might know. I'm not asking on behalf of these alone. So here's where we come in. But on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they also may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The world needs to know that Christ is the God-man. He wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't like Plato or Aristotle. He wasn't an inventor. He wasn't a discoverer. He wasn't a conqueror. He came to teach, and he came to live among us as God to show us what the Father looked like. And so any other person or philosophy or thing that's put in its place, nobody loved me enough to die for me. Nobody was a perfect sacrifice because nobody else was the God-man. He was God. And this we have to be so convinced of. And the word no appears in this passage so many times that the disciples may know who I am, that they may know who sent me, that they may know so they can pass on the message so others can believe. Do we know? Do we know? Are we convinced? I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, that they may be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. It's interesting, Kevin, I think you mentioned the multitudes in Revelation before the throne. That's a, that's a Wycliffe verse. Every tribe, nation, and language will be before the throne of God. So they have to have some way to hear the gospel in their native tongue, of which there are many thousands in the world, almost, almost 7,000 languages. There is not uniformity in that crowd before the throne of God. There's unity in diversity. We are not going to have a uniformity in the body of Christ, but we can be one in the spirit if we're connected to the head. If our effort is, is to join around anything but being joined to Jesus, we will fail. If we stay connected to the head and the life of Christ flows through us, the fruit of the Spirit will flow through us and we will be one. It's supernatural. It has to be supernatural. You may not like me. You know, we're not the same. Not everybody in our own family is the same. It doesn't matter. Personalities are secondary or tertiary. They're, they're out there. What matters is Jesus. What matters is that he says we too are sent. We too have a mission. We may not be missionaries per se, but we're called to speak that word, to give that testimony.
The glory, verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I also have given to them. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The glory you have given me, the Son of God, God, I also have given to the disciples. Why? So that they may be one, just as we are one. That is an astounding verse. I, I just invite you to camp on that. Camp on that. Spurgeon said, Beloved, those in whom Christ lives are not uniform, but one. Uniformity is only found in death. But unity is found in life. Those are, who are quite uniform may yet have no love for each other. While those who differ widely may still be truly and intensely one. Our children are not all uniform, but they make one family. What is the glory of God that he gave us? It's his word. It's his power. It's his spirit. His spirit, you know, and I, and I don't know what it is that the, the earth can't seem to support two people of the, of the Trinity at once. <laughs> you notice Jesus, Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes and Jesus says, it's better for you that I go. So then I'm everywhere because he's the spirit of Jesus. And so we have the hope of glory, the glory of his spirit, the glory of his power, the glory of his leadership, the glory of his preservation, the glory of God, the glory of God. I, we have the glory of God. It has been given to us. So it's, it's really good to personalize these truths. I have the glory of God, and it's been given to me so I can be one with you. You have the glory of God. It's been given to you so that you can be one with all the rest of us. It's a marvelous and wondrous thing. I in them, says the Son, and you in me, that they may be perfected, completed in unity, so that the world may know, there's that word again, that you sent me, and you have loved them just as you loved me. You have loved them just as you loved me. God is healing orphan spirits in the body of Christ. God is healing people who have been wounded and broken and don't know how to be loved by the body. And they know God loves people, but they don't always know that he likes them. And that can't stay like that. He's healing the wounded. He's healing the brokenhearted. He's healing orphan spirits. He's bringing them home to the Father through the body, because the body is Jesus. And so we are gathering, and this is such an important thing. There's a sign, you, it, you don't actually see it, it's side on, so when the people came in for the Joshua Project, they would see it, and it says, together is better. It's not easier. It's a whole lot easier to go out and just be, be, your, own, be your own thumbnail, but for Jesus. Me and God, we can do it, but you can't. And just as, you know, when we got married, Gord, you, people would say to Gord, Oh, you know, how are you? He'd say, I'm married. Like, that was his answer. I'm married. Like, that was so great. And then he said, then he found out that he thought he was a really great Christian until he married me. And then we started to, like, have, you know, like, you, you rub on each other when you're, when you're living together. And you find out, oh, like, I'm not as holy as I thought. We, so everybody, you know, we go through that. We're like, oh, oh, okay. Like, I thought it was pretty good until I had to, like, live in close quarters and die to self every day. 
And uh, so we, you know, everybody experiences that to some extent. And that's what happens in the body of Christ. It's a whole lot easier to be out on your own and do your own thing, you and Jesus. But you as a thumbnail are not going to accomplish a whole lot. And it isn't it interesting that in Corinthians it says, one part of the body says, I'm not this. And so they remove themselves. That is so not the heart of the Father. It is so not the heart of the Father. That we don't fall to pray to the lie that says, this is too hard. I'm not going to be conformed to the image of Christ through the body of Christ. What God is doing, he's doing it through his body. How else would he do it? We're his hands and feet. We're his heart. We're his mouth. We need every person. If you don't, you know, if you don't feel like you're seen, try to go somewhere without your pancreas. Try to go somewhere without your liver. Those parts that are not seen, we protect and we look after more than the rest because they're vital. They are absolutely critical. And so that's what, that's what God wants to do. It's what he's always wanted to do. But if there's a, an awakening coming, if there's revival coming, he wants us to be whole. He wants us to be truly one, not just unified. Wrap it up. You love them just as you loved me. So maybe you need to say that to yourself. The Father loves me just as he loves Jesus. The Father loves me just as he loves Jesus. And if there's somebody that kind of rubs you the wrong way, the Father loves that person just as he loves Jesus. That's a good place to start when we've got relational trouble. Right. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. How many times has he said that? We were a gift to the Lord of Lords. For the joy set before him, that was us. He went to the cross. Those that you have given me, I desire that they be with me where I am in heaven, so that they may see my glory, which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. I think the son at this point, he must be so anticipating being fully reunited with the father in heaven, right? That separation of his being in the earthly body and knowing that he's coming fully back to be, to be the son together again in the Godhead. Righteous father. So interesting that the son calls the father father. He calls him holy father and he calls him righteous father, even as the son. So it's something to think about in how we address the father, right? Righteous father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and, have, and these have known that you sent me. And there's the word sent again, and this word known. What we know and who we know determines our eternities and those of those, our, the people around us. And I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you loved me, that same love, may be in them and I in them. This is such an incredible chapter. We don't have time to do it fully justice. Anyone guess which verb was predominant in there? Any guesses? Huh? You got it. 
Okay? Known is in there a whole lot. Known. Give. Given. I gave. I have given. I give. The Father gives. The Father gives. The Father gives. And the Son comes and says, Father, do all that's in your heart to do because these ones are being sent out with your spirit, with your word, with the testimony of who I am, why I was sent into the world, and we have everything we need. He will give. God so loved the world that he gave, and he will continue to give, and he will continue to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are such a giving, giving, giving God. Thank you for this incredible prayer of Jesus to the, to the Father, to you, Lord, and that we get to hear his heart, to hear this intimate conversation that of what he wants to happen and how we in our times of difficulty can lift our eyes and say, God, glorify yourself even in these rough times, even in this. God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. And God, I thank you that you have given us your spirit, that you love us like you love Jesus, and that you will give us the power through the glory you've already given us to be one and to testify to the world that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We thank you and we glorify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And for those